Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Michael Adams, it's nothing but the truth, one man's journey to find it, and I'm finally going to get around to actually doing something besides, I guess, playing other uh, uh, audios of other people doing things, <laughs> uh, we'll start out with this, this, 
And we're going to read uh, Washington and the Lap of Rome. And uh, you can find this on James Japan, jamesjpn.net. I told James a while ago that I was going to do this, and I'm going to take a crack at it. <clears throat> this little intro from James. Uh, Washington in the Lap of Rome is a book authored by Justin D. Fulton, copyrighted in 1888, because any copyrights prior to 1923 have expired and are now in the public domain. I took a liberty to publish this book in HTML format to make it easier to read and more visible on the Internet. I used all caps for the titles because the original text uses them. If you are familiar with the Illuminati slash New World Order conspiracy for one world government, but do not know about the Vatican slash Jesuit connection, please do yourself a favor and hear what people in the 19th century had to say about it. True history is suppressed. You won't read this in school history books. There have been many people in history who have confirmed Justin B. Fulton's research. Samuel Morris, the inventor of the telegraph, is one of them. When you understand the Vatican slash Jesuit connection to the Illuminati, you won't need people like Alex Jones to interpret the news for you. You'll be able to you will you'll be able to better read between the lines and see what is happening and why it is happening. Now I go here a preface. Washington in the Lap of Rome by Justin Fulton D. D. Quote, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And a quote, Paul. Boston published by W. Killaway, Office of the Free Press, Tremont Temple, Copyright Justin, D. Fulton, 1888. To Americans who will aid in trotting, uh, throttling, excuse me, Jesuitism in uncoiling the serpent encircling the capital of the United States, and in taking Washington out of the lap of Rome, that a free church and a free school in a free state may make the great republic this glory of the world. This book is dedicated in prayer and hope. Okay. I've got a picture here. The serpent has entwined its foils about the capital. Is <clears throat> this hmm. what the serpent has been all about? I imagine the Jesuits control talks you with them because it's got that 
serpent eating his tail thing going on. <laughs> Hi, Jesuits. We're going to learn more about you. Uh, Washington in the Lap Room has been written to call the attention of the American people to the great trust which has been betrayed and to the great work which devolves upon them. It uncovers facts which will bring the blush of shame to the cheek of the real Republican and fill his soul with indignation. 15,000 department clerks are under the surveillance of Rome. If it, had, if it be not true, as is charged, that a private wire runs from Washington, excuse me, the from the White House in Washington to the Cardinal's Palace in Baltimore, and that every important question touching the interest of Romanism in America is placed before his eye before it becomes a public act. It is true that, Car- that the Cardinal is a factor in politics. Romanism is the dominant power in the capital of the United States. Lincoln, Grant, and Arthur withstood it and suffered the consequences. The power is unseen. It is shadowy. It inhabits, it inhabits me, the air and infects it. Romanism is the malaria of the spiritual world. It stupefies the brain, uh, deadens the heart, and sears the conscience as with a hot iron. It comes, as did the the tempter, with gifts in its hands of rule, of power, and of wealth, and to all who will fall down and worship it. They who yield have peace and praise. They who refuse must fight a terrible foe. The cry has been for peace. The lips of some of the ministers and members of the the Church of Christ have been padlocked. Politicians in the grasp of this power are unable or unwilling to move. They clank their chains with delight and glory in being allied with an organism so potential and so astute. Others see the peril and withstand its open and determined advance. No longer now is the clash of arms heard. The city is not, to human sight, a camp of armed men as the days of the Civil War, but if their eyes could be opened as as were those of the prophet's servant when horses and chariots were circling in the air, proof of a conflict might now be discerned more desperate than was ever fought by flesh and blood on this earth. Today, the, uh, quote, city of magnificent distances 
end of quote, resembles the children in the presence of the snake. It is being charmed by the the viper. Duty demands that the truth be told, which shall break the back of the monster. Quote, why priest should wed, end of quote, uncovered the pollutions of Romanism in the hope of saving the woman and girls of the Roman Catholic Church, now held in the grasp of superstition. Washington and the Lap of Rome appeals to mankind. The surrender of Rome, of the capital of the Great Republic, means death to liberty. The people of all lands and uh, climes are interested in the conflict. The facts given will ripen the indignation of pure-minded men and women against the uh, Jesuitical foe who no longer creeps under cover or hides in the shadows of some wall but stalks boldly forth on his errand of wickedness. It is believed that it will cause lovers of liberty to shake themselves from their uh, lethargy, lethargy and not only take Washington out of the lap of Rome, but throttle the monster threatening the future of the Republic. It looks like we're too late for that. <clears throat> the lift of the lift and lift the nation to its rightful place as the educator of mankind. <laughs> That's interesting. The leader of the best thought and the personification of God's great purpose in placing within the area of an ocean-washed republic a free church and a free state. May God help the truth is the prayer of Justin D. Fulton. Continue chapter 1. Okay, we're going to wait for that to download. There we go. Washington in the Life of Rome, Chapter 1, The Jesuit University and and the New Light. Romanism is beginning to uncover its hand in America. It begins to be fearless now that it is becoming natural. It is attempting to do here what it has achieved in Europe. To all the state, control the people, and banish liberty. Isn't it interesting that our European folks won't talk about what's going on in their their neck of the woods, but they'll certainly talk about this country. Slowly, stealthily, and with the look of a saint for the outward seeming, with the heart of of a Jesuit for the inward reality, Romanism has accomplished, in fact, if not in name, what in name as well as in fact she achieved in so many of the kingdoms of Europe, a union of church and state. This fell, excuse me, this few will admit, but all may know that fact was 
to have been revealed on the 24th of May, night, excuse me, 1888. That it was not was not Rome at Rome's fault, but God's decree. Preparations had been going on for months to lay on that day in the presence of the distinguished representatives of the of the nation, the cornerstone of the Catholic University of America, that the light of virtue and science might be preserved in the state. In accordance with the decrees and behest of Rome, the cardinal, the prince of the Roman Catholic Church, who was to officiate as president of the Board of Trustees, is, and by virtue of his high office, the most conspicuous figure in the Catholic Church in this country. Born of Irish parents, July 23, 1834, in Baltimore, and accompanying his father to Ireland as a child, where he received his early education, he returned to the United States and graduated from St. Charles College, Howard uh, County, looks like Maryland, in 1857. He then studied theology in St. Mary's Seminary in Baltimore and was ordained a priest July 30, 1861. Seven years later, he was consecrated bishop of North Carolina. Afterwards, he took up his abode in Richmond, Virginia, and in 1877 became coadjutor of the Archbishop Bailey of Baltimore. And upon his death became his successor. After the death of Cardinal McCloskey, he was appointed to his present exalted position and carried to it great versatility of talent and unconquerable energy and much learning. General W.S. Rosecrans, Grand Marshal, was born in Ohio in 1819, graduated from West Point in 1842, and in the Civil War rose from the position of Colonel to Corps Commander, or Corps Commander, in 1867 he resigned from the Army, went to California, was elected to Congress, and at the expiration of his term was appointed Register of Treasury. His brother was a bishop of the Roman Catholic Church, and he has been noted for his devotion to his church, whether as soldier, congressman, or citizen, the orator of the day, Reverend J. L. Uh, Spalding, or Spalding, excuse me, like uh, the the sports equipment company, Spalding, was born in Lebanon, Kentucky, in 1840, educated in uh, Emmitsburg, Indiana, St. Mary's, Cincinnati and in uh, Louvain, Belgium. Oh, really? Belgium keeps popping up. 
On May 1st of 1877, he was consecrated Bishop of Peoria. He was a scholarly man, and it has been his dream for years to have a great Catholic university built in the United States. It was through him that Miss Mary uh, Gwendolyn Chot, uh, Cal, uh, we going? Caldwell made known her gift of $300,000 to the prelates of the Baltimore Council. The mother of Miss uh, Caldwell was a member of the uh, Beckenridge family. The father amassed a large fortune in New Orleans and in 1863 was compelled to come to come, compelled to come north, residing in New York. The daughter was educated at the Academy of the Sacred Heart in Manhattanville, New York, after which he traveled extensively in Europe. The father, at his death, left an estate of $4 million to be divided between his two daughters. The Reverend John J. Keene, that's K-E-A-N-E, the rector of the university, was born in, um, this looks like, Balishanan, Shannon, we'll say, uh, yeah, Balishanan County. Uh, oh, my gosh. And Donegal, Ireland. I hope I'm saying that right. Donegal. Maybe it's Donegal, Ireland, on September 12th of 1839. He studied classics at St. Charles College, Baltimore, and subsequently pursued a full course in St. Mary's Seminary and was ordained in 1866. For many years, he served as assistant of St. Patrick Church, Washington, and in 1878, he was appointed to the See of Richmond. Bishop Keene's zeal, scholarship, eloquence, and organizing ability led to his election as director of the university. He has raised 800000 to the endowment to endow it. Let's see something. Oh. In 1882, Bishop Spalding visited Rome and obtained the papal approval. The position was discussed by the archbishops called to Rome in 1883, a seemingly institution that was politically dead till 1933, right, folks? Yeah. And in 1884, the section and benediction of the Pope was promulgated to the, uh, let's see, Plenary Council in Baltimore. It was expected that the Cardinal, dressed in red robes, of his office, arm in arm with the President of the United States, was to strike 
the blow which would inaugurate the commencement of an enterprise that would exert a felt influence upon the institutions of this fast-growing republic. Soldiers belonging to an army 700,000 strong now enlisted and drilled and being led by the sacred veterans of the Confederate and Union armies were to be there under the command of Major General Rosencran, Grand Marshal who, which prancing stead and nodding plume, plume was to place before the eyes of gathered thousands the proof that church and state were united. There's your answer to my question that I've been asked what happened. Why is there what happened to separation church and state? It never existed in all my life. One more of many lies that I was told growing up. <clears throat> and that a willing soldiery were getting ready to enforce the decrees of Rome. Bands of music accompanied the delegations and filled the air with martial strains. As on Wednesday evening, they marched along the streets of Washington. Archbishop, bishops, so archbishops, bishops and priests, monks and nuns and Christian brothers crowded the homes of ex, of uh, expect, uh, excuse me, this phrase, okay, crowd of the homes of expect, expect, and, oh, oh that's why, because, okay, crowded homes of expected, expected, so it's kind of a, a typo, expect, expected Romanists, everything was apparently for Rome, when the President of the United States left the Presbyterian Assembly in Philadelphia, to grace with his presence this occasion, every member of the cabinet and distinguished statesmen were expected to keep him company. Seats were prepared on the platform of for 2,000 guests. That night, in a great hall in Washington, gathered a company of praying people. They saw the peril. They declared it and pleaded with God to bring confusion upon the enemies of the faith. Though ministers in Washington as a rule and the churches almost without exception recognized the Roman Catholic Church as part of the Christian world and are opposed to saying anything or having anything said that shall provoke discussion or awaken enmity, many there are who believe that Romanism is the foe of Christianity and is yet to be cast down. So we have known now for at least a hundred and what fifty years, something like that. We'll say 1888. You know, this is talking way before that. So uh, we'll say 150 years. The church leadership in this country have been a bunch of cowards. Have cowered to Romanism. 
whether Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist or uh, Lutherans, Methodist or non-denominational. Um, the truth of the matter is we're all led by right now by a bunch of dogs who have no bark. And I don't have much respect for any man who doesn't have that bark. I understand the consequences of it. And regardless, I still don't have respect for them. Because these dogs with no bark let us down. Let us down big time. And the reason why you and I, instead of being potentially in something much better, have led us into a complete slavery. Without the grace and mercy of God, it is complete slavery. Now we understand, once again, the combination of banksters, the priestcraft, lawyers, and merchants enslave us with the threat of a stick. It's a pretty mighty stick these days, isn't it? Thursday morning came. The day darkened as it climbed towards noon. As it climbed towards noon, the rain came first as a protest. It increased in quantity and finally fell in sheets. Kind of like when the Pope visited um, the Philippines, huh? And the the typhoon drove them away. Will that happen here? Let's pray that God drives them away. (laughs) Gosh, you've got enough curses on us because of these people. We don't need any more. God, protect us. In the name of Jesus Christ, protect us. Please. The streets looked like rivers. The procession was abandoned. The town was held in the grip of the storm. The crowd that gathered about the great stand was roofed with umbrellas. The cardinal and clergy who expected to pass around the building to bless the foundations were unwilling to face the storm. Doesn't that sound just like what happened in in, um, the Philippines? These cowards are the ones who lead your lives. These men who rape your children and your daughters and your wives and rape your men, your sons, and and steal from us, imprison us. Man, it's awful. We are so blind. At 3 p.m., a change of program was announced, and these words, quote, 3 p.m., the procession has been abandoned, but the rest of the ceremony will go on, end quote. It did not go on. The foundations remained unblessed, uh, as Burns said, quote, full many a plan of mice and men gang off a glee, end quote. So full many a plan. Is that supposed to be full many a plan of mice and men? When it says full many a plan of mice and men, 
gang oft agree, end quote. It is not the first time that Jehovah, by storm and rain, was, uh, has dis, uh, disconcerted and broken up the plans of Rome. Twice this was done in the days of Napoleon, when, but for them, he would have been master of the world. But it came and piled his his ships on the lee shore and buried sailor and soldier in the watery grave. Once this same terrible result was reached when Philip II of Spain sent his armada of ships to crush, uh, crush out the power of Elizabeth, England's noble queen. In our own land, a storm helped us when hope had almost died out of the heart in the old South Church, Boston, where stood upon stood up, a, excuse me, where stood up the man of God to pray. Liberty was imperiled. A fleet was on its way from all, from the old world to the new, bearing soldiers determined to make an end of the attempt to kindle the shores of the Western world, the light of a new born hope. The wind that gently lifted a lock of his white hair from his brow was but the touch of that tempest that engulfed the fleet in ruin and saved the country from peril. Hmm. Something. What is he? This is an event I don't know about. I think I heard it in passing once. Apparently, there must have been a fleet of ships, uh, of English ships, maybe during the, or sometime around the revolution, that were destroyed by winds, or that something happened to them. It says they're completely ruined. Okay. That being who permitted the perse- uh, persecution of the children of Israel until Pharaoh was beside himself with wrath and egotism, and as if to defy God, followed the people and their march to Canaan, until Pharaoh was beside, uh, until in Canaan, until the floods environed him, when God withdrew the unseen walls which held back the sea and permitted the waters to break forth, smiting horse, men, and riders with the wrath of God, until chariot wheel crushed into chariot wheel, and Pharaoh's hosts, with all their pride and pomp, sank into the bottom of the sea, uh, quote, as a stone, and a quote, still lives in, in Rome, that in spite the warnings and remonstrance that attempted to dominate our intellectual forces was compelled to halt and learned again that the, quote, lady of the Tiber, end quote, was to suffer mortification and chagrin as her beautiful, beautiful garments were despoiled by the rain of the good rain, <laughs> rain of the good rain that made meadows glorious and open flowers 
for the coming son that did for Romanism in the United States what the storm did for the Armada and the Channel. The cardinal that could make the son of Presbyterian ministers bow to Rome, that could touch a spring and send seven million uh, of people in America to obey the behest of uh, Julio the looks like the 13th, could not control God. Quote, Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath triumphed gloriously. End of quote. And in answer to prayer, thwarted the scheme to make an impression, impression by a pageant by a pageant we do not need and will not always broke. <clears throat> wow, they use a language that we just don't use today. It's much more flowery, isn't it? Much more dramatic and poignant. <clears throat> it was understood that the cornerstone of the building would be laid, no matter what sort of weather prevailed. So members of the Catholic societies and others went bravely on in the rain, attending to the duties assigned them. The bishops assembled at the Father's Chapel, Chapel residence. <clears throat> Father Chapel, huh? <laughs> residence at two o'clock, where they took carriages with the cardinal and his attendants, and they were driven to the Middleton estate next to the soldier's home, where they had purchased for 27000 It has a picturesque and commanding location, and an old-fashioned driveway between rows of trees leading to the old house starts from the intersection of Lincoln Avenue with the Bunker Hill Road. The grounds extended to the Metropolitan Branch of Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. The railroad station of Brooks is located there. The distance from the city is two and a half miles. So out they went, hoping against hope that the rain would cease. The ecclesiastical ceremony at the site of the university was planned as followed. The procession was to form at three o'clock along the Bunker Hill Road. The various divisions were to gather in fields on both sides of the railroad in such a manner that the first division, when it files out, will pass before all the divisions, and each division, in turn, will march out upon the road so that the whole long procession will pass in review before the last division, composed of bishops and clergy, following an ecclesiastical custom. Each division is arranged with the junior organization first. Thus, the, the youngest parish is placed at the head of the, of the division, composed of representatives of parishes and the oldest last. In the division composed of the clergy, 
the different bodies are arranged according to their ecclesiastical rank. The Christian brothers coming first. So the Christian brothers coming first, followed in order by priests, the bishops, the archbishops, and last by the cardinal, the highest dignitary. In the program, it was arranged to sing uh, uh, Hayden's Hayden, anthem. Uh, quote, The heavens are telling, end of quote. The choir to be accompanied by the, by the full marine band. The heavens told without the song that America has no need of a papal university built to perpetuate the dominion of Romanism and to unify the many elements of which the Roman Catholic Church in America is composed. One feature of the institution is the establishment of, quote, a university um, verses, and the quote, the verse, it's B-U-R-S-E, is a fund out of which the poor students are cared for. Every person is at liberty to contribute to it whatever some he or she may desire. The object is to aid any bright-minded man whose appetite for scholarly attainment in the scientific or historical or the historical, really, or the mathematical fields of knowledge are known, but not brought out because of the lack of means to develop them. The reason for locating the university at Washington was ostensibly as urgent as urged by Father Chappelle because the capital is growing rapidly as a social as well as a political center, that its literary circle is a growing and a liberal one, that a great general library, a superb law library, scientific works and collections, the National Museum, the observatory, and other public institutions offered facilities for study that could be that could not be secured elsewhere. In fact, it is the dream of Romanists to make Washington the Rome of America, and of course, his nickname is the Little Rome, Little Rome. The capital is to be the Vatican. The great department buildings, the homes of her um, oligarchy, when the Tiber, when the Tiber there, as the seven-hilled city of Italy, shall give name to the mistress of the republic, which hopes to be mistress of the world. When this result is achieved, it would be in keeping to have the Catholic University of America located in the center of Mary's land. 
Let's read that again. In fact, the dream of the Romanists is to make Washington the Rome of America. The Capitol is to be the Vatican. The great department buildings, the home of her oligarchy, when the Tiber there, as the seven-hilled city of Italy, shall give name to the mistress of the republic, which hopes to be mistress of the world. And when this result is achieved, it would be in keeping to have a Catholic university located at the center of Mary's land. It was Thursday evening. That's a pretty profound statement, sentence, or two. Don't you think? You should think about this whole nonsense about having a third temple in Jerusalem, really. So, it's like what Gatto says, whoever, uh, it's, it's a great way of looking at it and approaching this the study of trying to figure out who's in charge of things. Whoever you're told is in charge, you can count on they're not the ones in charge. So, <laughs> what does that mean in this particular instance? It was Thursday evening, May 24, 1888. A company of lovers of American institutions were gathered in one of the corridors of a great hotel. And came a man who had led the meeting for prayer, whose face looked as though victory was in the air. He had been all day with the Jesuits. He had seen their dis comforture, and witnessed their mortification, wrath, and desperation. Quote, what is the outlook, end of quote. Uh, quote, all right, end of quote. Hmm. How goes the fight? So something here, never better. This is supposed to be some quotes there. Rome has met their Waterloo and has received a blow she will not soon forget. Cardinal Gibbons finds that he cannot manage God. He is beaten. The archbishop, bishop, and priests realize it. The present cabinet and congressmen who have bent the supply hinges of the knee so, excuse me, had bent the supple hinges of the knee that thrift might flow fawning. Now see it. Whiskey flows as free tonight as water fell today. It is appalling to hear the profanity. 
Between yesterday and today, what a change. Then all was hope, now all is gloom. A leading priest who invited the speaker to come and witness the ceremony is despondent enough. The minister reminded him of the prophecy read to him from Revelation 18.16 and changing it and said, Alas, alas, the great company clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with, a, with gold and precious stones and pearls. <clears throat> and one hour have been brought to see their hope, hopelessness when contending with the Almighty. May it not be a type of disasters to attend the enterprise. A bad start is a prophecy of what at least is possible. The charter, the organism, all will be opposed. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord shall be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall they, so shall ye know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. All recognized how the mighty angel may cast Rome down as a stone is thrown into the sea when the truth gets before the people and the machinations of the foe of liberty are understood. Tongues were loosened. Rome, though mighty, was not almighty. The uh, oh, uh, truths, I'm trying to figure this one out, the truthsulency of politicians has been of no avail. The president and cabinet went home chagrined, better, if not wiser, men. The great university looked well on paper, but looked very diminutive, uh, diminutive to those standing in the mud and rain. So will it be when God shall take Rome in hand. Quote, how much she had glorified herself and lived uh, deliciously. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am now widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her, end of quote. We live in a wacky world. Thus spoke the minister to his friend, the priest. The words shook him up. They loosened the foundations on which superstition had been building. The new was coming. The battle was on. Never did a fiercer conflict rage in Washington. The forts were dismantled after the war. Soldiers in blue and gray had gone far away. Yet the city was full of combatants. Months before, an 
a Roman Catholic institution concerning which a war of words seems to go on for year to year, the minister met the priest. They sat at the table with distinguished Romanist priests and laymen. Even nuns waited on them. After dinner, the priest, distinguished for his courage, cultured, talented, eloquent, made a speech which presents the doings of the church as seen by Romanists. He praised Rome for what she is and for what she has achieved. He spoke of the proofs of her greatness seen in her magnificent cathedrals and churches in all the large cities, the great monasteries, convents, and asylums crowning the hilltops that looked down upon many of our large cities, the golden cross, the great, uh, the, the golden cross that greets the eye as the traveler passes through the golden gate on the California coast. While in New York, the gateway of the Western world, Rome, in churches and schools, in convents and monasteries, and uh, protector, protectories, so protectories, and whatnot, leads all other churches and enterprises in and in far-reaching plans. He claimed that there was more money and more brain under the control of the church in New York than in Rome itself, and that now, while the school system was being shattered and the parochial school had become a fact, Rome was to get control of the youth of America and could hold her own against all comers. He then spoke with pride of the gift of the descendant of the great opponent of Romanism, the gifted Dr. Birkenridge, whose $300,000 was but the seedling of germ out of which was to come an university that would surpass and astound the world. He sat down and roughly applauded. The chairman then asked the minister if he would like to speak. Consenting, he arose and said, quote, the speech of which of this distinguished priest gladdens you makes the most of it excuse me, make the most of it while you have it. It is but for a short time, end of quote. What do you mean? Simply this, there is nothing God Almighty hates as he does Romanism. In 1870, you proclaimed your Pope an infallible God. That act proved him to be a man of sin, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Thus was the wicked revealed, 
whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Is that your idea, shouts the, shouted the priest? That is the word of God. By it, men and nations are to be judged. You remember that your pope had hardly been made the church when the, the beast um, Louis Napoleon Louis Napoleon on which he rode into power and was destroyed. Then Babylon fell because of the power which came down from heaven which lightened the earth with its glory. Because of this the cry is going forth as never before, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye, not re- that ye receive not of her plagues. Clouds and dark with the wrath of God are gathering in the sky of Rome, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Gentlemen, you may not know it, but it is true that God keeps in his ear the cry and shirk of every Waldensian thrown over the alpine cliff and torn by the jagged or jagged rocks, everybody wretched entwined by the rack of the Inquisition, every woman whose foot whose feet were burned over the the bracer of coals. Every martyr who ascended to heaven in his chariot of fire, all are remembered, and God says, Reward her as she rewarded you, and double unto her, uh, double according to her work, and the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. Then again, gentlemen, there is a prophecy linked to a fact to which I have never seen attention called. You have a perfect passion to place all your institutions on elevations. You seek to exalt yourselves in the eye of the people. The Pope exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, and, and you manifest the same spirit in the location of your public building, our Lord said, Whosoever exalts himself shall be abased. Every hilltop crowned with your great structures proclaims the abasement of the Roman Catholic Church, and even now Christ may have, may have said, Because you have tried to exalt yourself at the expense of humanity, and of brotherly kindness, thou shalt be brought down to hell. He that humbled himself shall be exalted. This is the outlook of Rome for Rome. The present condition is not what ye paint it, they tell me. If the mortgages were foreclosed on the property Rome claims to own in New York City, she would not have one foot of land, a a convent or a church. What you own would not pay what you owe. 
Rome is to be uncovered, and then she will be hated. In the battle to be fought, our hope is in God, and you must look out for great defeats. With that conversation in mind, there was meaning in the results of the day. The priest felt it. He spoke of his disappointment. Quote, it is, it is hard to contend against an almighty must. Against the, an almighty must, end quote, replied the minister. Quote, the hour approaches when Rome shall be fought by Romanists. When means this unrest of the Pope, this feeling that he must get out of Italy and find refuge somewhere else, does he not know, does not the world recognize the fact that Romanism is nothing without Rome? Let the Pope come to the United States, and he would be compelled to walk down Broadway with a stovepipe hat, a Romanist, as Romanists are compelled to wear, uh, wear, uh, where am I at? Compelled to wear citizens' clothes in Mexico. The current of free thought in America will take care of Romanism. The time is coming when men will be ashamed of the name in which they pandered to Rome. A minister of distinction declines to attack the Roman Catholic Church in Washington, lest offense be given to the representatives of foreign governments who crown St. Matthew's on the Sabbath and the places of pleasure during the week. For Washington is in the lap of Rome. A conundrum, a, a canarder, huh, okay, a canarder put out from New England to, okay, let's try this again. A canarder put out from New England for New York. It was well equipped. Hmm. Canarder. Hmm. That's, okay, let's check that one out. <clears throat> but in putting up a stove in the pilot box, a nail was driven to near the compass. You know how that nail would affect the compass. The ship's officer, deceived by the distraction, distracted compass, put the ship to... 100 miles off her right course, and suddenly the man on the lookout cried, quote, land ho, land ho, okay, land ho, <laughs> end of quote. And the ship was halted within a few yards of her demolition on Nantucket Shoals, Nantucket. A sixpenny nail did that, because it was not known that it was misplaced. It shall be 
the fault of those who will not heed a warning if the Jesuit University shall derange the American compass and send the ship of state upon the rocks which threaten her. I think they've already done that. They can manage that. We are definitely, they've created the shipwreck out of this country. I think that's a pretty safe bet. And we are... Well, I'm thinking I'm going to take a little bit of a break here. I don't know if I'm going to come back or not. Well, I'll try. But I need a break. So, we will play some more music, huh? Once again, we're reading the lap, Washington and the lap of Rome. And this uh, chapter one is uh, the Jesuit University in the new light. And let's see. Doo, 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 doo. Where are we? Okay, so yeah. Interesting. Don't you think? The insights, at least for me, is the insights, even back then, they were forewarning us and the battle was going on. At least they recognized what the battle was then. We don't have a clue anymore. We were just so clueless. And um, I wonder what we're going to do here. Maybe play some more strange music. All right, well, here's a little bit. Be a 
<coughs> so prior to 19, yeah, 1888. Um, and there are more than 4,000 parochial schools. A movement has begun to take possession of our public school buildings. Rome withdraws her children from public school, leaving the seat unoccupied. And then she rents the empty building and fills it with her children through the assistance of men elected to do her, her bidding, as is done in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, 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 this is Maiden, Massachusetts, and Maiden, Massachusetts. As has been said, Rome sees clearly the peril which confronts her from secular teaching. And from this day, she will spare no effort to keep her children within sound of her own bell and with the limits of her own instruction. There will be no compromise. There is no evasion, open determined and persistent antagonism to our common school system is henceforth the attitude and policy of the Roman hierarchy. Who, excuse me, he will hope, excuse me, he who hopes to escape this struggle or outmaneuver this foe is already beaten. He does not know the, the antagonist with whom he is fighting. The universal diffusion of Catholic education means something more than the opening of schools and every parish. It means a steady and unrelenting attack on our common schools, not on that abstract thing called the common school system, but on every school in every locality where the Catholic voting populace has any strength. This result was inevitable. Catholics have the same disposition to pay taxes which characterize the great majority of men of all faiths. They are compelled to support their own church schools. They are not disposed to support the common schools in addition. Wherever the way is open, and they will, as a matter of course, use their power to control and cripple the common schools. The great struggle between our schools and this vigilant and uncompromising foe will not be fought out in Congress or in legislators, in newspapers or pulpits, it will be fought in every school district in the country. There will be no great or decisive battle. There will be a long series of schisms. Every school meeting will be contested, and on the, the result of these minor contests, the struggle itself will turn. Henceforth, eternal vigilance will be the price we shall pay for our common schools. Henceforth, no man who cares for his community or his country can afford to shirk a duty which has been more honored in the breach than in this observance. 
In many communities, these foes of common school will not lack for allies who will consciously and unconsciously work with and for them men who will fail to see that they are being used as tools by a power which has never yet failed to heighten uh, to heighten never failed of the highest sagacity in using those who are too short-sighted and too selfish to comprehend the real issues involved. The only reply which must be made to establish to the establishment of the parochial school must be the increased efficiency so the increased efficiency of the common schools. The actual ruler of this nation lives not in the White House at Washington, but in the Palace of Baltimore. No important editorial affecting the Roman Romish Church is printed until it has been submitted to the Cardinal for his criticism. We wonder at the power exercise. No member of Congress enters Washington, but he is weighed in the Romish balances. If he comes down with the shekels of for the church and with votes for her policy, all is well. If not, there is a reckoning time sure to come and an influence is exerted at once that touches the springs of power and his far away home. As a political machine, Rome is the transcendent success and the Jesuit was more than half right when he said, quote, the representative of the Pope in the Vatican is the ruler of the United States of America, end of quote. And that's the end of chapter one. We'll probably end that recording there. There's a lot to chew on there, but it's clear that my hunches in the past couple of years have been true for a long time, and that I've just been one of the many walking dead or blind who have just now come to realize that we really are in a Roman Catholic country, and you are not going to be the President of the United States unless this cardinal in Baltimore says so, and you're not even going to be a politician in Washington unless this cardinal says so. The prince of Rome is here. And you and I have been lied to all along. This is one of the distinctive differences between the elect the ruling elite, if you will, and the rest of us. You and I were never taught that, don't have even a clue that it is. Unless you're one of the followers of this show or a show like this, you, or you figured it out yourself, you had no idea. 
You have no idea. It's not knocking you. It is. We're all in this boat. Anyways, God bless and take care. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.